Awesome. Thanks so much, Josh. Good morning. How you guys doing? Good morning. Everybody cold? Yes. Awesome. I am. I feel like the, the Kansas City in me is gone, and I am full Floridian now. So let's pray and uh, dig into God's Word. Father, thank you so much for this time together. Uh, Holy Spirit, we invite you here. We ask that you would uh, just give us clarity, help us to see Jesus, and help our lives be transformed by the hearing of your Word. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So uh, we are going to be talking today about the purpose of work, the purpose of work. So the average person spends between 70 to 90,000 hours in their lifetime working. That's roughly 8 to 10 years, 24-7 of work, right? That's a lot of time. But uh, according to a 2015 Gallup poll, only about 32% of people find satisfaction or engagement with their jobs. So why is that? Why is it that we spend so much time at work, but yet so few of us have any kind of real meaningful engagement or satisfaction in the work that we have? Well, I think at least a piece of it is that we don't have a full biblical uh, vision and understanding of our work, right? Often uh, our work is simply thought of as a means of provision or uh, how easy is our job uh, or, you know, we get our identity from it. It's seen as a, a form of status, But the Bible offers us a deeper and a more vivid vision of our work. It offers and invites us to see that our work is a calling from God. That it's a means for us to serve God and for us to serve others. And that it's a way that we worship Him. And we see as He has labored and worked on our behalf. And so uh, I'm going to read a couple passages in Genesis as we uh, dive into this often unexplored topic of work. Genesis 1, verse 26 through 28 says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the sea, uh, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And then in Genesis 2, verses 1 through 3 and verse 15, thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. And then in verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. This is God's word. So we're going to talk about three things this morning. First, we're going to look at the origin of work. Second, we're going to talk about the intention of work. And then lastly, we're going to talk about some guidelines for work practically. Uh, how do you know what you should do? So first, the, the origin of work. Now, the Bible has a, a, a very different view than our culture and even ancient cultures about the nature of work. Uh, work has often been portrayed as a necessary evil or something that uh, the lower class should do. And we see this, uh, Babylon was you know, one of the larger cultures during the writing of the Bible. And uh, their story, the initial had Marduk, their god, kind of creating uh, you know, all of earth and mankind. And he made mankind so that the gods could live a life of pleasure, right? We create you, man, you do work, and us gods will live a life of ease and pleasure, 
And we see the same idea with the Greeks, right? The Greeks thought with Plato and Socrates, they thought that uh, doing physical labor was beneath them, right? It was not the calling of free men to do physical labor. And so they thought it was the work of slaves, and uh, they, you know, in their Greek myth, uh, you know, Zeus created uh, Pandora and, you know, as a wedding gift, gave her the box, you know, Pandora's box, if you've heard the myth. And in it was all the curses, and she opened it and let go of all the curses, disease and old age and uh, hard toil. And so we see that the ancient cultures had this idea of work as one of necessary evil is one of negativity is something to be despised and to be rejected if at all possible the good life was one of ease and comfort and leisure and lack of work and it's in that kind of context where i mean even today in our culture we still have that kind of mindset to some degree that work is a necessary evil that if we could just escape work and live a life of ease and luxury and leisure that would be the really good life and the bible flies in the face of that and it says, no, that's not what makes a meaningful or a true or a good life. In the opening pages in Genesis, we see that God is working. Right? It opens up and it, it talks about God creating and making all that is. And then he begins to, to order what is there. We see that in the garden, before sin entered in, before there was any imperfection or brokenness, Beauty, sexuality, food, friendship, spirituality, and work. Work. It's all there before the fall, before sin enters in. That work was how God made the universe to be. He made the world operate in this rhythm of work. And we see that through his work. Right? He exemplifies what work is, ultimately, first and foremost, in creation. Right? He brings something out of nothing, but then he also orders that creation. He takes the chaos and he puts it into clarity and into order. And it's not just creation, you know, like a master artist, you know, God creates, but he also sustains. His work is found in, in the constant daily sustenance of his creation, right? The Bible talks about this as providence. And Jesus says, he says, God sends the rain both on the evil and the good. And he sends bread and he sends the sun to shine. And so God is not just... Did he work? But he's constantly working still. God is a God of work. And not only that, but the Bible also talks about that one of the ways that God works is that he co-labors with us. And we see in Genesis that he works and he shows Adam and Eve how to work. He exemplifies what work is. And then he also puts them in a garden to cultivate it, to work it, to keep it. And this is one of the ways that that he works is through us. God works behind the scenes, working through our labor to provide and to care for his creation. In Psalm 127, verse 1, it says, Unless the Lord builds the house, the laborers labor in vain. What in the world? What do you mean? Like, they're building the house, but it's saying, no, there's something at work behind their labor. God is actually at work. Providing, building, sustaining through their labor. And so, too, our work is one of the ways that God provides for humanity, for the common good. When you pray the Lord's Prayer and you ask God, you know, God, give me my daily bread, give me my sustenance, how does God answer that prayer? God answers it through farmers, gardeners, through grocery stores, through cashiers, through people that own buildings. God is answering prayers 
and, and working through people's labor, through their work. Whether it's praying for those that are sick, whether it's asking for people to gain wisdom, all of these different means, God answers and works through the labor of people. He's working in and through us. And so, what does it mean for us? What, is, what are the implications for this? Well, first, I think that it means that we need to understand that work is good and not something that we just simply try to run away from, right? We need to embrace that work is something that is good that actually makes us human and helps us to live a life of purpose and intentionality. Um, and to reject the lie that says that the good life is found in a life of leisure and luxury and, uh, and rejection of work. It, the Bible warns that embracing that lie will lead to destruction, right? It's like eating too much candy, right? First, leisure and entertainment, it tastes good, it's fine. And, and the Bible even says that in moderation, it's not a problem, right? We are to rest. He, he brings up that there's a, a rhythm of work and rest. But too much entertainment, too much leisure, too much rejection of what God has called us to in work, and it begins to rot our soul. It begins to make us inwardly focused and believe the lie that life is ultimately about our entertainment. I see this practically. Uh, I'm a financial advisor, and so I help people process through into the next stage of life, into retirement. And so I've seen people that I feel like have handled retirement and done it well, and then I've seen those that have entered into retirement, and they almost need a retirement from their retirement. (laughs) Because they enter and they find that they've... The things that they thought would bring fulfillment and joy into their life, this life of opulent luxury and entertainment consistently, it actually feels empty and void. And the older they get, the more they wish and they long to give themselves to something that matters, something that has meaning, something that contributes to the good of other people. And so we need to understand that Work is good. It's something to enjoy. And it might change shapes and look differently as you go into different stages of life, right? As you go into retirement, work is not going to look the same as it did before, that it maybe opens you up to enjoy and run in a different space that God might call you to work in or to give yourself to. That doesn't always look the same. But work is, is good. Keller, uh, in one of his books, the Every Good Endeavor, he says, the loss of work is deeply disturbing because we were designed for it. According to the Bible, we don't merely need the money from work to survive. We need the work itself to survive and to live fully human lives. It's this freedom of understanding how God has made work that allows us to walk in that work with greater joy, with greater love and and optimism towards it. And Oftentimes, we think of freedom as freedom is like a rejection of restraint, right? I'm free because I don't have to do something. But the Bible re-envisions freedom, um, and I think in a, in a better way. And it says freedom is understanding and embracing the right restraints, right? You might say, well, you know, you put a fish out of water. It's not really free anymore. You might say it's free from the water. Well, it's free to die from the water, right? Because it has certain restraints that it's made to operate in, and it thrives when it's placed in its right constraints, the water. So, too, in our lives, if we want to enjoy certain freedoms, there are certain restraints that we have to go through. If I want to go and enjoy a triathlon, I'm going to have to put my body through some restraints because I'm not going to enjoy that triathlon unless I do. 
If I want to walk in marriage, there are certain restraints that I have to do to enjoy the privilege and the blessing of my marriage, right? Not date anybody else. And so, too, the Bible says that there are restraints that when we understand them and walk in them, that they actually breed greater joy and greater freedom. And a part of that is understanding the rhythm that God has made for us to work. That he says that we're to work six days, we're to rest the seventh, right? And so that there's this rhythm of working and resting that we are to walk in. And it's as we walk in that rhythm of work and rest that we find greater joy, greater strength, greater vitality, greater earnestness for the work that God has given us. And that, that act of, of rest, it's one of reflection, right? We see that when God stopped his work on the seventh day, he looked back and he enjoyed it. He says he looked back and reflected on what was good, that he had, the work that he'd done, he had accomplished that it was good. And so resting on that day, it's to be an act of faith, an act of trust, and also an act of reflection as we think back upon what God is calling us to do in the work that he's given to us. Another thing that I think is really important as we um, think about the origin of work and work's purpose is the kind of work that God does, right? When we think about um, work, oftentimes we have a hierarchy of, you know, the top jobs that are out there and, well, the jobs that I just, I'm not sure if I really want to do. And the interesting thing about Genesis is that when God shows up, he shows up and he gets his hands dirty, he shows up as a physical laborer, and he puts his hands in the soil, and he starts crafting and creating and breathing in to mankind and creating them. And by doing that, he shows that the dignity of all work. Philip Jensen, he says, if God came into the world, what would he be like? For the ancient Greeks, he might have been a philosopher king. For the ancient Romans, he might have looked... Uh, for, they might have looked for a just and noble statesman. But how does the God of the Hebrews come into the world? As a carpenter. As a carpenter. And so what this says is that all work has dignity because all work images the creator God. And this means that you are not too good for any work. There is no work that we should look our nose down upon and think I'm too good to do that. Because our God came as a gardener, as a carpenter, as a shepherd, as a lowliest. And so it should free us to say, God, wherever you would call me, whatever you would lead me to do, I want to do. It should humble us out of our pride, our self-sufficiency. So we've talked about the origin of work. I want to talk a little bit more about uh, the intention of work. So we've talked about, you know, God created us to do work. Um, we should be doing it. But what exactly is work? Like, how do you define work and why should we be doing it? Well, Dorothy Sayers, uh, she was an author in the early 1900s. Uh, she wrote prolifically around the issues of work within society. Um, and she defined work as the gracious expression of creative energy in the service of others. The gracious expression of creative energy in the service of others. That work is this expression of creative energy, literally the energies of the creator that is intended to benefit or serve other people. 
Tim Keller, I think, also uh, gives a definition that's helpful. He says, work is rearranging the raw materials of a particular domain to draw out its potential for greater flourishing for everyone. Right? It's, it's calling out in the raw materials in any kind of domain that there is so that we bring out their potential for greater flourishing. And so two words that I want to focus on are two intentions I want us to see is that work is to be an act of cultivation, right? It's to be an act of cultivation. Uh, in the ESV, it's uh, in, unfortunately translated into work, but in other translations, it's seen as cultivation or to take, take care of something. And we see that in Genesis 2.15, right? God put the man in the garden to cultivate or to watch over and to keep it. And so I want you to hear that cultivation and think of a gardener. Right? A gardener doesn't just ignore the garden. He doesn't just say, well, I'll just throw seeds out and just hope something comes. Right? He's active towards it. He says, there are things that I need to do. I need to go in. I need to plow. I need to make room. I need to kind of reshape the landscape to best position the soil for flourishing. Right? And so he is active and creative in trying to mold the landscape so that it would bring out what is there. He can't make it, right? I mean, he can't force things to grow, but he does the part that he's called to do to help bring out what is latent, the good, the potential that is there. And it's from that that he also gets provision, right? I mean, you saw that with Adam is that God put him in the garden and he taught him. God first modeled what work looked like, and then he put Adam in the garden to work it. And how did Adam get his provision? Well, he got his provision from the work that he was given. That was how he did it. And so, too, God has also called us to gain our provision through work, right? The Proverbs talk, if a man does not work, he shall not eat. And so work is a means of provision for us. God desires that we would work and that we would get a reward from that work, a direct implication of that work. A, a story that I heard that I think illustrates this idea of cultivation um, Back in 2005, there was a, a, a guy named James who has uh, managed multiple different businesses, but he was over in Arme Armenia, and uh, they had, uh, he saw a great opportunity. They, they had very uh, seasonal fruit seasons, and so the seasons would come, the fruit would come, and it would be great, and then as soon as that would die off, there was not much else. And so there was poverty, there was lack of employment, there were all of these things, and so James saw an opportunity to go in. And so he came in and he created, har he harvested the fruit and he canned them. And in canning them, he created a business that was year-round that provided employment and it also was excellent. And he said that in reflecting on Genesis, that as he reflected on Genesis, he realized that God doesn't create junk and therefore I don't create junk. I want to cultivate and bring out what was there and what is good to serve other people. And so we see that Work is to be this act of, of cultivation, that we're to do it with excellence, right? One of the first things that Christianity and, and that our faith belief system calls us to do is to, to do things well, right? We're, we're not to produce junk. We're to do whatever job God's called us to do with excellence and to do it unto him. We're to do it well. And so we see that it is, uh, it's, work is an act of cultivation, um, and then also, secondly, we see that it is uh, to be a service of love. So love, we know, is not something simply that we say, but it's actions that we do. And the first part of seeing your work as a service of love is 
seeing Christ in the service that he has offered and the work that he has done to love you. And John, he talks about, John five seventeen. Jesus is just healed on the Sabbath, and he's talking here. He says, but Jesus answered them, my father is working until now, and I am working also. And we see Jesus was working from the father's commission. God had given him a work to do, and that work was ultimately coming and paying the penalty for our sin, paying the debt that we owed, doing the work that none of our work can ever accomplish. And the motivation behind his work, behind his labor, was one of love. And the, the way that our work has changed to be a service to others is by first receiving the work of Christ on our behalf as an act of love. Because when you understand the great labor, the de- great degree that Christ went, the, the torture, the cross, the, the full weight of sin upon him, the un- unimaginable labor that he went through to please the Father and to pay the debt that we paid, then it puts our work in perspective. It puts the difficult times that we go through in perspective. And it helps us to see how much we are loved. And when we begin to see and understand how much we are loved, it can't help but change our hearts towards other people around us, specifically those that we work for, those that we work to, and that we work around. Our hearts will begin to be humbled and broken and compassionate towards others. And we will find that work no longer becomes something that's self-centered, something that's primarily about us and a means of expressing ourselves and status or getting the largest paycheck. But work becomes a means that we get to genuinely love and serve other people. And so first, first in order for our work to be a service of love, it has to be received from Christ as his work of love towards us. Have you received that work? Are you receiving that work daily? Because it's, it's something that, yes, we have to make a, a conscious decision to open our lives to to receive, but it's something that we walk in daily as we spend time with him, as we think about and go to work. We think about the work that he has done for us, and we rest in that, and that empowers us to go into labor. So two things, right, that work is an act of cultivation and work is a service of love. Now I want to provide just some practical guidelines. How should you know what to do for work? Right? I remember when I was in high school and college and just the world before me, what in the world should I do? I have no idea, you know, trying to figure out where God would call me to work. And so three helpful things you know, as we discern, um, and even as you maybe are discerning, because, you know, right now people change their jobs every three to five years. So, uh, first, you need to know yourself. You need to look in, right? We were made in God's image. God is a creator, right? He's the original artist, and he formed and designed everything that is, and we were made to be creators. Now, this doesn't mean that all of us are going to be artists, but it means that we all participate in some degree in being creative, right? That God is alone and that he creates out of nothing, ex nihilo, but we are sub-creators, right? Forming relatively new ideas, new things, new substances out of what has been made. In Genesis 1.1, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. 
All right, what this means is that God begins to bring order out of chaos. Is that in these different areas, he, he sees, and, and as you see, walk through Genesis 1, God takes the created order and he puts it, he, he takes this created order and he puts it into form. And he structures it. And so too, God has called us into different spheres of work, into different areas, and he's called us to walk into those things and to put them into order. And so the question is, where do you see chaos around you that you desire to put into order? Where do you see things that maybe you have just clarity what other people don't? And you see, and you're drawn to that, right? You're passionate about it. You're gifted at it. You're genuinely good. And trust me, sometimes it takes work to get good at something, and so it doesn't just happen. But you're good at it, and you, you see that things are out of order. And you say, I want to, I, I just, I feel like I need to go and help bring out the goodness that's there. Bring out the potential that's there. And maybe it's, you know, maybe it's people, you know, maybe it's management. And you see that, you know, maybe you're in the deli and you're like, hey, maybe I don't feel like called to make sandwiches. But I feel that there is opportunity and potential in these people. And I feel called to help bring order and clarity into their lives and help bring out the latent potential that they have. There's all kinds of different spheres and jobs and opportunities. But it's a calling for us to go and to bring this chaos back into order and submission to, and to Christ's rule and his reign. So first, we need to know ourselves. right? We need, to, we need to look in and understand how God has gifted us and how he's called us and, and where we should go. Second thing is we need to look out. So, yes, we should feel passionate and excited about our job. We should long to do something that we're gifted at. But also, we need to do something that actually matters. We need to do something that's a benefit to society, that's a benefit to other people. Because there are jobs out there, and I've seen them, that they're very lucrative. You might be very good at them, but they actually don't help anybody. They, they revolve entirely around you. And so God would call us to do work that actually helps and serves other people. And so where is that? Where do you see that there's need and there's opportunity that you're gifted and you feel equipped for and that God would call you into that? And listen, this might mean that you might take a job that's not going to pay you as much. That You might take a job in an area where it's hard. God oftentimes, when you look at the Bible, calls people into hard and difficult things, but they're fulfilling things. There are jobs where you feel a deep sense of purpose and of calling. And so we need to know ourselves. We need to see where there is need and where God would call us to go and to serve in that need, right? And it's not the, the expense of provision, right? There, we have to live in the real world and that there are some times where we have to work, we have to eat. But it doesn't mean that we don't keep looking for that, that we don't keep searching and asking God where those can intercede, where those can meet the last thing is that we need to look up, right? We need to look up, and we need to ultimately see where the Lord is guiding us and what he wants. So there's a, a story uh, from the movie Chariots of Fire. It's a story talking about Eric Little and uh, Abraham, uh, Harold Abrahams. They're you know, running a race for the Olympic gold, and uh, Eric Little is a Christian, and he ends up not running on the, you know, on the Sabbath day, but he is talking to his sister, and he says this. He says, I believe that God made me for a purpose, but he also made me fast, and when I run, I feel his pleasure. And what is he saying there? He's saying that it's more than just that I'm good at it. It's more than like I feel like I can benefit others from it. He says, I feel like there's a calling upon my life for this. And I think that this is something we need to rediscover. 
that your job is not something, something simply that you do, but it is a calling that God is placing upon your life. It is an act of ministry and of worship unto him. This is something I have rediscovered. I remember when I was, you know, in high school going to Christian camps and they would have the altar call and you would first get an invitation to come up if you wanted to become a Christian. And then after that, it was like the second altar call. If you wanted to become a pastor or a missionary or something like that, then you got a second call, you know, and it was this holy and unique kind of calling, just set apart calling. But as I went to college and majored in biblical studies and dug into the scriptures more, I realized that that wasn't biblical, that every calling, every aspect of, of, of work is a calling from God. That when you become a Christian, there's no part-time ministry. You are employed in full-time ministry. And I think we need to rediscover this. That God doesn't call pastors and missionaries differently than he calls businessmen or teachers or nurses. That all of our work is to be a calling that God places upon our life and we are to seek it as such. And to lay our lives before him and ask God, is this where you would call me to be? Is this how you would call me to use my gifts and my passions and my time and my energy? And to know and to feel his pleasure as we pray through that. And listen, it might change. Like I said, as we go throughout, the shape of our work looks differently. But I think that those are helpful guidelines as we ask God, where would you have me to work? What would you have me to spend 70 to 90,000 hours of my life upon? So let's pray and let's go forth and, and be equipped to walk in God's calling wherever he has placed us. Father, we thank you so much that you sent your son to labor for us as an act and a service of love. I pray that we would receive his love, that our work would be transformed. We would no longer see it simply about ourselves, but we would see it as an act of worship and of love to you. And I pray that you would Place a, a burden, a calling, God, that we wouldn't see work as simply expedient, as something we do for just a paycheck or for status, but we would genuinely look for work that, that benefits others, that loves others, that we can feel pleasure from you in doing. And so we ask you, Holy Spirit, that you would work in us and do these things, that we might be your hands and feet in this world. In your name we pray. Amen.